Well, good morning, officially, everybody. Uh, welcome to those of you that are watching online. It's nice to be back. Um, great to be here with uh, all of you. Last week, um, when I was doing the, the sermon last week, we, we did um, what I called brain candy, if you remember. It kind of turned into like a, a high school geography slash history lesson. Some of you fell asleep and, and that's okay. I totally get it. But I had maps and charts and all kinds of crazy stuff up here. And, and um, unfortunately, after doing that, what happened was, you know, sometimes I, I get uh, into that mode where I just like learning stuff. You know, I just want to want to go out and, and gather facts and, and that kind of thing is just how my brain works. And so getting ready for this week, I had some of that still kind of left over in me and wanted to go out and, and start researching this, this concept of, of peace, this understanding of what peace means. And so I started looking at other cultures. I learned this week that to the Piro tribal people of Peru, the word peace means the well-arranged soul. Isn't that nice? To the Zacapoxla of Mexico, peace just means completeness. To the Gabipo people of Liberia, it means my heart sits down. And to the Baoli people of Ivory Coast, it means a song in my body. Aren't those great pictures? The well-arranged soul. Completeness. My heart sits down and a song in my body. You know, for some of us, especially during this time of year, like no other time, peace becomes something that we long for and we struggle to find amongst all the things. Some of you may recall a very old commercial from uh, television back in the day when I was a latchkey kid and I used to come home from school and sit down and, <coughs> excuse me, I'm still getting over cold. And I used to um, spend a lot of time watching you know, reruns on TV and, and sort of just binging TV even back before it was cool. Which explains a lot why I am the way that I am. But I remember this commercial quite vividly. And it was a mom that was kind of just sort of harried, you know. Everything's going off the rails. The kids are yelling and screaming. The dog is barking. The doorbell's ringing. All this is going on. And at one point, she just kind of puts her hands up to her head and just says, Calgon, take me away, right? <laughs> it was a commercial for Calgon which I think was maybe a bubble bath or bath salts. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. But, but the ad was effective because we all have those moments where we just want to put uh, everything on hold, take a deep breath, and just be. But peace isn't truly found in a warm bathtub. Peace isn't found on a lounge chair at the beach. Peace isn't, peace isn't found on the lake or wherever your place is because peace isn't a destination. Peace is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. So for the past three weeks around here, we've been traveling through a promise, a 2,700-year-old promise that God gave to people about 
peace. And the promise was God's Christmas present to us, that unto us a child would be born, a son would be given, whose name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This morning, this series reaches its climax as we, we talk about the huge promise that God made to us that in our darkness, he would send us the Prince of Peace. For three solid weeks, we've been reading the words of Isaiah chapter 9 together because this is where the promise is contained. And I'm going to reread this passage from Isaiah, beginning at 9-1. And when we get to the sixth verse, I'd like you to read it out loud with me. It'll be on the screen here, or if you have your Bibles open in front of you. And I'm reading from the, from the ESV. But beginning in Isaiah 9-1, it says this. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isn't that a great promise? What, what God is promising here is that one day there will be no more need for warriors to wear boots and there will be no more fear of blood getting on people's clothes because there will be no more war, no more strife, no more opposition or oppression, no more mean comments and social media threads. Why? Well, that's the answer that God gives in the next two verses. You can read them out loud with me, beginning in Isaiah 9-6. It says, For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, many of us here have loved ones who have served in war. Some of us have loved ones who even now are, are serving our country in this way, and we thank you for them. We thank you uh, for their heart to serve. God, help us today find peace, not in a place, not in an object, but in you, in the person of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.
<clears throat> now, three weeks ago, we began looking in this manger. We learned that 700 years before Jesus was born, God started telling people about the miracle of Christmas because he was so excited about it. Back then, God used one of his most trusted friends to give us this message. An ordinary man named Isaiah, who loved God, and he listened to him, and God told him amazing things about the future. And one of the things that, that God told Isaiah was about the coming Messiah. Throughout the book of Isaiah, God reveals all sorts of names and titles for the Messiah. We don't have time to study all of these names, but let me just give you a few of them to help us better understand how God was thinking and feeling at this time. One of the names is Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7:14, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I, Isaiah 7:14, Isaiah uh, Emmanuel means God with us. God came to be with us so that we could understand him so that we could know him so that we could like him and learn to trust him another name is root of jesse god tells us in isaiah 11 that the messiah will be born as a root on the family tree of a shepherd who lived in bethlehem whose name was jesse that, by the way, is, is why Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to register for the Roman census, and why Jesus was born there, because Joseph's ancestral home was in Bethlehem. God wanted us to know that the Christmas miracle wasn't an accident, and it wasn't a last-minute idea. So 700 years beforehand, he said in Isaiah 11.10, in that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. In Isaiah 4.2, God says that the Messiah will be the branch of the Lord, because out of him will come much fruit. In Isaiah 32.1, he calls him the king. In Isaiah 40.10, he's called sovereign Lord. In other verses in Isaiah's book, he's called shepherd, your redeemer, my servant, man of sorrows and your savior and of course the names that we've been looking at in this series in isaiah 9 6 he's called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace how many of you right now as you're listening to this or, or partaking of, of this time together with me how many of you are finished with your christmas shopping just throw your hand up all right be proud it's okay it's a great feeling right i mean to be done that that sense of peace that thing that we're we're all searching for this time of year during all the the craziness my, my wife and i just got back from a, a short trip it's something that we do Every year together, we, we take a, a short trip together, like even if it's just an evening away from the normal. Just the two of us, just just time to be alone, to be together, um, just to, to take a break 
from the daily routine, from everything, just to reconnect before all of it, you know? And, and it's more than just the peace thing, okay? Um, th there's a thing about being done with the Christmas shopping and knowing what you've gotten everyone that you love, right? You, you know what they're gonna have. My, my sister Bonnie is like the queen of Christmas, okay? And so on Christmas morning, she literally knows everything everybody's gonna get. Before they take it out of the bag, before they tear the paper up, I, I'm pretty sure she even knows what she's getting most of the time. But you can see it on her face, and, and, and that's like all the joy, all the excitement, because she already knows, right? And, and that's, that's her thing. I don't quite get it. But here's what I do get. I believe that knowing what you've gotten those you love gives you this special feeling. And God knew exactly what he was getting his children for Christmas. And that's why he spelled it out the way that he did in Isaiah's book. Today we're concluding our series looking at the title of Prince of Peace. As Isaiah wrote it, Prince of Peace in his native language of Hebrew is the word Sar Shalom. See, if you say that out loud just one time, say Sar Shalom. It's, it's, it's great to say, and we sing it all day now. And Jesus is our Sar Shalom. Sar the first part is the word for prince. It's normally, when we think of a prince, we think of the son of a king. But that's not what this word is designed to make us think. The word literally means, sar, S-A-R, means head person, means captain, governor, prince, head, head guy, the, the go-to guy, the one in charge, the big cheese. Okay, that's what it means. And, and the Romans actually had a very similar word for their ruler. He was called the Caesar. As in Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, Nero Caesar. That was their head guy, their governor. Until the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russians adopted the same title for their head of state. They called their ruler simply the Tsar. Shalom is the word for peace. In the Hebrew language, peace doesn't just mean lack of stress. Peace is a rich and powerful concept. It means well-being, it means happiness, it means peace. So Jesus is our Sar Shalom. He is the governor of our well-being, the captain of happiness, the ruler of peace. Everyone, this, this is so important. This is the climax of Isaiah's promise. I want you to fully understand this today because if you can embrace this truth, you will see Christ differently for the rest of your life. Do you remember what the angels said when they announced Jesus' birth? In Luke 2.14, it says, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, Jesus brought peace at his birth. 
that amazing? The Bible says that Jesus then spent the next 30 years growing up, living the normal life of a human being so that he could identify with us in the things that we go through. I mean, he experienced hunger and tiredness and disappointment. He experienced family. He learned a trade. He earned a living. He made friends. He celebrated holidays and events. As a matter of fact, the first recorded miracle that Jesus performed was at the wedding of a relative. And they were running out of refreshments. Let me, let me read you the story here. It says in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now, you're probably familiar with this account in Scripture. You remember that Jesus sort of said to his, his mother, woman, what, what does this have to do with me? And But I believe that ultimately, we, first of all, we know that Jesus turned the water into wine. But I, do you see why he may have done this? I think it could have been because his mother was getting nervous. And his relatives were about to be embarrassed. This was a um, a shame culture, okay. This is shame was was a uh, is a powerful thing in in the Eastern culture, and Jesus didn't want that, so he performs a miracle. Now that's speculation on my part, but as the son of a mother, I, I could totally identify and I could totally see doing this for my mom if she asked and I was able to. But Whatever the reason was, the point is this. The miracle brought peace. So Jesus not only brought peace at his birth, he brought peace through his miracles. Whether that was a healing or a feeding or whatever it was, he did that. In this case, mom's happy. The bride and the groom are happy. There's there's peace, there's shalom, there's well-being. The first time that Jesus stands up to speak in an official capacity is in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. He reads from the book of Isaiah. And it says that those who heard marveled at his words. They were saying, wait, isn't this the son of Joseph? They marveled at his words, and his words brought peace. So Jesus brought peace in his first moments at his birth. He brought peace through his miracles, and he brought peace in his words. In, in those first moments after his birth, to all who visited him, he brought peace. To all who experienced him and the power and the glory of his miracles and who heard his words, what they received was peace. The last time that, that Jesus gave a formal talk, you, you know what he said in John 
He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But he concluded that speech by saying this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, do you, do you recall what we read back in Isaiah? <coughs> Excuse me, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that begs a question. How can that be? I'm sorry. I I I look I read this scripture in Isaiah 9 7 and I look at the world around us and I ask how can both be true how can there be no end to peace as a result of the Christ child coming because after all there's, there's no peace in our day we're not seeing that we're still seeing war and conflict we're seeing neighbor fighting neighbor I read a story yesterday about people fist fighting at Disney World. I mean, come on. You can wade into any random social media post comment section and you don't have to look hard and see that peace isn't raining. So what's going on? What's the truth? Well, to understand, I think we have to look at what Jesus said in those final words in his speech in John 14. If you look again there, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. See, what, what he's saying here is that he gives a kind of peace that's different than you can get in the world. He's talking about a spiritual peace. Peace in your soul. Peace that comes from a sense of having God's presence with you. And forgiveness for your sins and hope and purpose. Not the world's kind of peace. Spiritual peace. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Spiritual peace. So see if this distinction helps you. Isaiah says... Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He says that in Isaiah 9, 7, right? And that's a bold statement. But we've now had over 2,000 years since Christ's birth to track it. So is that true? Has his government and peace continued to increase? Well, look at it this way. At his birth, Jesus governed one life his own. And then 33 years later, he left a handful of followers and he told them to continue to expand his kingdom. Now, if we could do a chart of the growth of that kingdom, the number of followers who have signed on year after year after year, it would be a Wall Street broker's dream 
it would be a, a, a graph that just continued to go up. Some estimates say that as many as 2 billion people today come under the government of Jesus. This is how God predicted Jesus' government would increase. People would submit their lives to him. People would look around at, at the choices that they had and they would say, I can invest my life in any number of different ways, but which way will give me what I'm looking for? And then they'd ask, because they'd have to ask, well, what is it that I'm really looking for? Many of them in, in sober moments are going to look past the, the trinkets and the baubles and, the, the, and that promise to make us feel neat or look neat or make other people think we're neat and say, you know, the, the reason I want to feel that way is because I'm, I'm really looking for just peace. I'm looking for shalom, for well-being, for happiness inside, for hope, for completeness, peace. It makes sense from what I know of Jesus about how he lived his life, what he promised people, how he was delivered on his promise, how he has, excuse me, delivered on his promise to the lives of people I know. People whose lives have been radically changed. And because of that, I know that, that I should bow myself before him. I should invite him to rule my life, to be the prince of it, to give me peace so that I can have a well-arranged soul. So my heart can sit down so that I can have a song in my body. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of peace. You know, people have been making that decision and following through on it now for, for 20 centuries. And it's working. This invisible government, the reign of Christ, or his people called the church, it's now the largest organization on earth. You know what? The world can have its imperfect leaders. I'll take our Sar Shalom, our Prince of Peace. The Bible says that, that currently Jesus' government increases one life at a time as individuals submit to him. But it also predicts that one day Jesus will return. And then his reign won't just be a spiritual one. It'll be a physical one. In the future, it says that he will restore nature and rule the world. So I'm going to show this to you. There's a, a picture I'm putting up on the screen, which if you're listening to this, you can't see. Um, it's a picture of a wolf and a lamb laying together. Something virtually impossible, although we, we see something similar at our house when our dog and our cat um, lay down together and the cat starts cleaning the dog, which is really weird, but um, it does happen, okay? But, but, but here's the picture that Isaiah paints. <coughs> Excuse me. In Isaiah 11, 6, 
It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Peace. Shalom. No conflict. No war. No fighting. Peace. Isaiah finishes in 11.9. He says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want to remind you today that knowledge isn't just facts in your head. When the, when the Bible speaks of, of knowledge, it speaks of knowing in an intimate way. In, in a way that, that, that involves so much more than just understanding about something. But, but truly knowing, truly being in relationship with our Sar Shalom, with He who is the Prince of Peace. When He returns, even nature will be at peace because we will be full of that knowledge. We will be full of His presence, of His peace. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray for peace. For those right now um, hearing this, and peace seems like the, the most impossible thing, I pray for that. God, I, I pray that you would just envelop them and let them know peace. Let us all know it this holiday season as we struggle to make our commitments to um, check off everything on our to-do list and our calendar um, as we rush, rush, rush. Would you remind us to take a moment, take a breath. Remind us that peace cannot be found in a place. It can't be found in a bathtub can't be found in an object or a gift under the tree. Peace is the person, the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to hold on to that truth. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope your, your holiday season is full of blessings of peace. If you are able to, I'd love to have you join us on Christmas Eve. We'll be meeting at 5 p.m. at Hope Community Church. We'll have a short um, service with kids involved. And um, we're looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus together. So until then, God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll, we'll talk soon. Bye.